HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and today we have a, uh, a special guest, a, uh, a friend, um, Grant Reynolds. He is the wine director over at the critically acclaimed Charlie Bird, one of the real wine destinations in, uh, in New York City. It's a great small restaurant in uh, kind of the Soho meets... Greenwich Village meets West Village area exactly. um, with and just an outstanding wine program, absolutely delicious food, and uh, and uh, Grant running running the show over there. So Grant, thanks thanks for being on this show. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's good to be out here. Uh, welcome, buddy. And you know we like to start the show with uh, the best wine that we've had all week. Um, I will I will get started, and I'll give you a, a little second to uh, to think about it. Um, you know, I've had some, a few interesting wines. It's been a week of of trying all sorts of uh, kind of off the bean path, unique wines. Last night I had Gamay Noir from Michigan, uh, grape from the Madrid area um, in uh, in Spain, which is kind of an up and coming area. Uh, but really, kind of the most compelling wine I've had this week was the Pheasants Tears Chinuri from from Georgia. And uh, these I haven't wines, had that one. You haven't had no. it. It's kind of really <laughs> exciting, man. Uh, this this guy was uh, his name's John Wortman. He was an American who who moved to the the country of Georgia just in the uh, ah, I heard about this the Kakheti yeah. region in the foothills of the the Caucasus Mountains, and he does very traditional style uh, wines. This is a, a a wine that's made in in amphora there, Kvevri, but without the skins, and it is just like really pure and and it has like that great mineral grip to it, uh, and it's exciting. And I, I've tasted a few vintages of of their wines, and this is. Uh, I think the the best one they, they've done so far. So it was the uh, Pheasants Tears Chinuri 2013, and I had this at a, a Georgian wine seminar that was done by Lisa Granick, Master of Wine. Uh, oh. That was really really interesting. Cool. That sounds great. Um, man, I don't know. I'm you know like yourself. We get to taste a lot of wine, so 
by the kind of uh, looking back in the catalog, it's a little tough to recall. But a couple of nights ago, I had a bottle of 85 Henri Gouge, uh, Les Saint-Georges, which was really cool. And a producer that I think the wines are, are much easier to understand with that sort of age on them mm. and which you don't get a lot of exposure to but i'd had before in france and i don't think i've had anything old old um of that sort of level in uh since i was in france and so it was cool to try that it brought back a lot of memories and it was uh really delicious there's so. always that that thing where you you know you have a wine in the in the country that it that it's from and it just tastes better in a way you know yeah. like you're on vacation you're not you're like work. on the Malfi coast yeah. you're in paris there's all like you know the beautiful things surrounding you it's yeah it's bound to taste better than in a white walled room so right did, yeah. i mean did it deliver in the in the same way that uh that you remembered yeah it was really great awesome. it was really really great um yeah it's pretty classic old school old burgundy kind of bready sort of funky but um elegant and youthful alive and well so that's awesome cool stuff. i get that from guests all the time they're like i remember you know i had this wine in in italy in tuscany i was on my honeymoon and I don't, it was so much better there than it is here like do they add so many sulfites to when they ship it out you're like no you're on your honeymoon exactly like, <laughs> you're just happier you're just happier <laughs> they're like the wine's the same thing but you're just happier <laughs> that's funny people i also i have a, a client who did the same thing but they were i guess they were in rome and then he bought like four cases of this Sagrantino. I can't even remember the name of the producer. And he came back and he's like, I love this wine. He's like, I bought every vintage of it and blah, blah, blah. And then he brought a bottle in and we opened it and it's like terrible, horrible. And he's like, I swear that this was way better. And he's like, the guy was so cool. And you can just imagine the like Italian winemaker just selling it. Right? Yeah. And this guy just scooped up a few cases of wine brought it back and now he's stuck with a bunch of Ooh. funky tannic Sagrantino. yeah and Sagrantino, so, like that's not well, as bad as <laughs> really bad right yeah it is a it is a rough tannic rough rough wine all right so before working at uh, at charlie bird um you're at frasca uh i feel like we've had on uh quite a few people from from frasca we've had bobby we've had carlin carr oh cool we've had did Dustin work at Frosca ever? Dustin did, yeah. Wow. I didn't I didn't get the pleasure to work with him. We I had you know, started shortly after you left. But yeah. next, a next few week guys for gonna, a small small town restaurant. We're so. gonna get the uh, the busser staff and the dishwashers from Frosca gonna be on the show next week. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Little bilingual heritage radio here. <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, the Frosca is such an influential restaurant yeah. for uh for everyone in, in the industry. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's no surprise that, you know, that, that someone uh, who's as wonderful as you has, has worked there. Um, how does that in, informs the, the way you have, you have brought that, that experience to, uh, to New York? Yeah. I mean, Frosca really is, it's an incredible restaurant, right? You can drink incredibly well and you can learn a lot about wine there. And it of course has a just incredible wine program, <clears throat> Um, but my, and, and kind of reflecting on my experience there, it's the work ethic, but also like the culture that they've built there. So a restaurant, you know, for those of you who don't know is it's in Boulder, Colorado. It's kind of off the, 
very short but small main drag um, in Boulder, just kind of east, um, you know, in an area that's not like totally booming. And it's, you know, as Joe mentioned, just a really incredible restaurant with all this crazy acclaim. And what they've done is they, they harness people who may have not necessarily been totally dedicated to restaurants. Um, and they instill this like sense of care and hospitality in everyone, even down to the dishwashers. And it's really, really incredible to, to go back there. You know, we just opened Charlie Bird and it's been super fun, get to work with a lot of really great people. But a year in, you look at it and, you know, we've had some turnover and you've, you know, banged your head against the wall a little bit because people don't necessarily care about how the food was dropped or care about those things. And no, we're not trying to be a, you know, super formal restaurant, but um, the culture there that, that Bobby creates and that is like every single day kind of growing is, is really incredible and just inspiring, not only from a restaurant perspective, but I think for any business to have your staff like really care about what they do. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure that did, that didn't happen overnight. That take, no. takes many, many years and no, you know, no. people who've worked there for, for a super long time. So for sure. Don't be discouraged. Though. No, <laughs> no. I, I, a year in, we like, you know, a year and a half in at Charlie Bird. Now you kind of look back and, you know, there's a few really great people that, um, really do care and kind of take ownership. So. Yeah. And, and Charlie Bird is just such an awesome restaurant. I remember when, when you guys opened the, uh, the outdoor cafe, I jumped on that. That was oh, yeah. super, super special. The wine list is, as I said at the top, the wine list is just, just awesome. One of the things I really love about it is, uh, is how well edited it is. I think of a, a few other lists around town that there really aren't a lot where every single wine on that list you want to drink. Um, and I imagine that that is uh, something that can be challenging for someone uh, like you who's sure. been exposed to so many wines uh, around the world. Um, how, how do you focus on just the you know just the the ones you want to have on the list at the time? And uh, also talk kind of about uh, your your experience with uh, with Robert Bohr, who yeah, is exactly a, a great you know one of the one of the great wine guys around town as well. For sure. Um, yeah, it's I mean having a small wine list, I never. It's, I guess it feels like we put, and I do think we do, we put just as much energy into the small wine list as we would if we had, you know, a thick book of a wine list. Um, but that was kind of Robert and Ryan's, you know, really original inspiration was they're, they're two super talented guys who, who came from very formal backgrounds. Ryan being at the Little Nell, running that whole program. Um, from the back house perspective, the the chef, and then Robert, of course, just having the insane resume that he does, they they both kind of looked at it and were like, we want to open up a restaurant that we would want to eat at, you know, not once a year for your anniversary, but every night kind of place, a really great neighborhood restaurant that was, you still had the option to to drink well and to drink exciting wines without it being you know, a huge kind of ceremony over wine service, but to do all the basics at the highest level and have, you know, a small curated um, selection of wines. So the wine list is like physically confined to really only 120 selections, um, which makes it super challenging when you get two bottles of something or, you know, one bottle of something. You can't really put it on the list because 
the next day it could you know very yeah, easily you have be. to reprint yeah exactly which you say only 120 bottles and you know thinking about the kind it's of true. wines that you and, and, and Robert are, are exposed to and probably put on the list. Like it, and the fact that it, it's a pretty, you know, it's a, it's a nice but a, a small restaurant. That's, exactly. That's an impressive amount of wines. Even it is. That. Yeah, it is. I guess, it, you know, people do say it, it's incredible. Even guests are like, wow, you have a big wine list. And I guess it's coming from a wine list, which is now four pages. But the one before was, you know, 64 pages. And then, you know, Robert's background, of course, at Crew, where they had... Like two two phones. phone books of you, they, you know, they had to bring list. it out on like a, a trolley oh, yeah. a cart like all of like the wine list is really really incredible <laughs> so it, to that degree it's minuscule but you know compared to other neighborhood restaurants it it is kind of lengthy um, but I think the idea was was just to do that was you know instead of having you know kind of a vertical of certain wines we're like we're just going to have one vintage and it'll be a vintage that we think is drinking great right now. And, um, that's the one that you should have. Mm -hmm. Or instead of, you know, I love being able to go to whether it's, you know, Danielle or La Tour de Jean in Paris or wherever it is. And you, you see these incredible, incredible lengthy verticals that, um, you can kind of pick through and really geek out on the year and geek out on, on vineyards and stuff. But, um, that's like, again, that's the same idea of, you know, that, that takes a little bit more effort it's a little bit less time away from your experience with your guests and having fun and all of those things. So, um, they really just wanted to kind of instill this idea of it being like, it's going to be great, but it's going to be quick and it'll be kind of right there. Easy for you to digest no matter who you are, whether you're a sommelier or, mm -hmm. or someone just getting into wine or someone who doesn't really care about wine at all. So it doesn't overwhelm anyone. Now, talking about vintages, you have a number of uh, older vintages on the wine list. Uh, yeah. You have some 1979 Il Cole Brunello. Uh, which delicious. Something I actually think I, ser I might have served Bobby and Lachlan uh, last time I, I saw them at Lartuzzi. Oh, cool. Um, 1985 Angelo Rocca Primitivo. Yeah. That's one I don't know. It's a weird wine. It's a 85 Primitivo. It's, um, so it spends, I believe it spent like, you know, between seven and nine years in wood. It's effectively Amarone, but from Puglia. Um, it has some RS. It's kind of our, you know, we found it. We got a really good deal on it. It drinks like older Amarone. It's kind of, you know, more like secondary and mm -hmm. um, a lot of the kind of dried fruit character to it. But it has like the density and sweetness and, and power um, of those wines. And for, you know, 85 it's i think 125 bucks on the list uh it's kind of fun right and, and that's like it's hard, hard to find level. for yeah it's kind of hard to find amarone that's you know not uh like young port right for that kind of price right so, it's yeah it's hard to find amarone that is by uh, no means am i an advocate so. for you know amarone here <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a it's a fun one that uh that's we cool. Just, uh, so is that is that something that you do more with cheese or some kind of meat that might have like a sweeter glaze on it or something yeah, like that? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a good like last red, you know, because yeah. it's super impactful. I I really think of, and and that's one thing like people, we're at Frasca or you know some other restaurants. It's like it's kind of easier to, to pair because maybe the whole table is having the same dish mm -hmm. or, or at least having the same kind of course, whether it's like crudo and then in a pasta and. That kind of thing. And we have that, but like pairing can be really tricky there because it's all a car and people share a bunch of stuff. And um, so we really try to encourage people to 
progress with wine. So start out with like a lean, sharp white and then have something denser. Have some red burgundy and then get into Sangiovese or Nebbiolo or Syrah, those kind of things to kind of work your way through. And then if you want and you're really trying to get after it, you can, you know, cap the night with some Angela Roca Primitivo. <laughs> if you got a little bit of a sweet tooth. Yeah, I mean, but, I get the uh, feeling that, you know, the wines on the list are wines that you just, like, just truly, truly love. And uh, it's exciting for me to go there and find uh, find wines either, you know, it's it's a vintage that is not hasn't been available in a, in a long time and uh, the wine's in great condition or or it's just something I've, like, never heard for me that I... Not to say that I know everything about Italian wines, but I taste a ton of Italian wines all the time. And to find something that I've never even heard of is uh, it's super exciting. And that's what, what keeps me uh, keeps me coming back. It's just uh, it, it's awesome. You just do really, really good work with, with finding some of those older vintages and putting them on there. Yeah, it's fun. It, it keeps it interesting. And so what's the move if, uh, if a guest maybe wants to try something that's, that's not on It sounds like you guys might have a few things that aren't on the list that you get in short... We do, we do for sure. Um, you know, it, it's it wasn't something that we want to you know, make like a huge part of the restaurant, just because you don't. Any any time you put, and and you know, truthfully, people kind of give us a little bit of feedback that you know, in that short section of Southern Italian wines, it goes from, or you know, f- from the northern like freely part of wine it goes from you know a a $50 bottle to a $275 bottle with only four selections so it can look like your wine list is is expensive and and that really like turns people off in in a certain way or makes them uncomfortable if you're you know relative like just trying to crush rosé on the patio Mm -hmm. or whatever but we have you know friends and clients and you're in new york and there's such incredible access to older wines and you know we're 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 lucky and we have the confidence that we can serve them well and and that we can sell them um so we do have you know not a massive selection but we have um like the gouge which isn't you know a crazy expensive bottle of wine it's like whatever it was um but you know we have some things that we kind of hand sell and Robert just wrote up this really beautiful uh, handwritten cellar book that has some of our favorite producers with maybe you know a couple of extra years of age on them or simply stuff that we only have one bottle of. Mm-hmm. So we want to kind of dedicate it to our friends and kind of yeah. uh, so come in, manage do, that exactly. Do the right have a thing. conversation and and uh, we can style you out. It's kind of <laughs> the right thing. All right, uh, with, with that, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with more of Grant Reynolds, uh, wine director of Charlie Bird, here on In the Drink. Cool. That was awesome. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels, to lower barrel entry proof before heat cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. 
Michter's Cosby Dam Taste is Everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. And we're back on In the Drink. Um, your host, Joe Campanelli, here with Grant Reynolds, wine director from uh, the great wine destination and food destination, uh, Charlie Bird, a uh, great restaurant, uh, very close to, uh, kind of close to Laratuzzi, a few blocks away on 6th uh, oh, Avenue. That's true. Um, Grant, so something I love about your program as well is that you do um, a half bottle, a pretty extensive half bottle selection, whereas you're not listing half bottles, but anything that that is uh, is on the wine list a guest can order a half bottle of. Is that, is that an accurate characterization? Of, it is. It is, totally. So we have a little plug on the last page of the wine list to our friend John Slover, um, who, really, who really helped us out a lot, kind of getting the restaurant off the ground, but also who, um, at a couple of places around the city, did... At Chiano, I guess more, more recently, did the half bottle program. So, where he'll open up, and you know, where we now open up any wine on the wine list, aside from sparkling wine, as a half of a full bottle. Essentially, we don't have; they're not like three seven fives, but it's half of a seven fifty, or even half of a magnum. In in certain cases, we'll you know do that too. So, if the bottle costs a hundred dollars, it's fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Don't you get a ton of waste? I mean, what if, you know, you have 10 different tables, all get a half bottle, and you have 10 wines open at the end of the night? Yeah. I mean, we try to, you know, that's the thing is a lot of the wines are are sold by us. And, and so, you know, hopefully you can, and and I don't see anything, you know, wrong with us. You kind of steer people into into things that are open. But also what we do is, you know, we only, we have a very short wine by the glass selection and, and program for that manner and that's intentional because we often have wines open you know we don't have a chardonnay by the glass but chances are we're going to have some white burgundy open by the half bottle that we can you can you know, suggest to people and sell just a glass of exactly that that second half of so i think this is amazing on so many on so many levels i mean it, it's so on the side of the diners um they have a, you know you make your 120 bottle selection list all of a sudden it's 240 in a way because yeah, they, you know, if someone isn't if they they're not in the in the mood to drink a whole bottle now they can have just a half bottle and it also just really encourages the conversation between uh between the, the guest and the and the the sommelier or the wine director or server or whoever it is i i love it on so many levels and and you feel like you're on the inside too <laughs> you hear you hear you know, we do have a glass of Burgundy that would go really well with that that we have open. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's, people love that. That's awesome. Yeah, it is really cool. You know, because when people order, and this is real, like they'll order, they'll have you know flute crudo and razor clams to start, and then their pasta is going to be like rigatoni with lamb ragu, and then they're going to end with chicken. 
It's like there there isn't in any part of the world. There's no perfect wine for all of that food, right? But you can, you know, crush a half bottle of Chablis and then figure out, you know, a bottle of red that'll kind of accompany mm -hmm. those two courses well. Um, so it really opens up and, and also, you know, ultimately, um, just as you said, it, it kind of makes things a little bit more interesting for myself and also for guests um, within that. So that's fun. So you have a, uh, so a shameless plug yeah. section where you carry wine made by other sommeliers in the industry. Uh, why do you think that there's a movement of sommeliers towards producing their own wine? Is it something you ever want to do yourself? Like, tell, yeah. tell us about that. I, don't, I don't know if, you know, if I, I don't have any plans to right now. Um, I worked Harvest in, in Burgundy at Dujac and it was super, super fun. I learned a lot. I, you know, was like, uh, picking grapes, which was very, very, very humbling and, and hard work and, uh, but a cool experience too. Um, and then, you know, we get to visit a lot of wineries and so you kind of see winemaking from, from that side of things. But, um, the idea behind that, that was, I totally thought when Robert like first kind of suggested that and brought up that idea, I was like, you're crazy. You know, people are gonna kind of like give us a little bit of, you know, grief on it or, or whatever, but it's, people think it's super fun and it's true. They are friends. They're, you know, people that we have really great relationships with and are great people and the wines are pretty tasty. So why wouldn't we support them? Yeah. Just like we would support our winemaker friends. We're supporting our sommelier friends who are involved in, in wine projects to, to different degrees. So it's been fun. And, um, yeah, we're shameless about it because, frankly, we would have had the wines on the wine list regardless, you know, so. so might as well be open. Might as well, yeah, call yourself <laughs> oh, out I love on it. it. I so. mean, uh, you know, Bobby and Lachlan's wine, the Scarpetta wine, is one of our most popular. Yeah, it's yeah, delicious. Guys, stop selling the Scarpetta Barbera because <laughs> yeah. it's just like, it's like a go-to for so many people yeah. in, uh, at, at our restaurants. And I, I love the Timido by them, the, the sparkling rosé. Yeah, that's, that's the one unique. that we have you know, right now. It's, it's tasty. It's easy. Um, great valued, you know, sparkling rosé that that people can throw back. So it's you fun. Harvest at Dujac? That's awesome. Yeah, that serious? was really cool. And that, what is that? What did you learn from that? Other than that, picking grapes is hard work. Oh man. Well, you know, Jeremy and you know Jeremy Sass, the um, winemaker at, at Dujac, and the son of Jacques of the second half of the word Dujac. Um, it, he's such a smart guy about Italian wine, about German wine, about everything. He's just a really, really incredible person. So aside from learning, you know, and getting like a, a real insider's look at Burgundy, we got to drink. That's where I had, you know, for the first time, old Gouge. And that's where you have old Grio Hermitage, not to like, you know, totally blow up and expose all the incredible wine that Jeremy has in his cellar. But um, you in like a four week period, I had wines that I only really ever dreamt of and got exposure to, which had never left where they were bottled effectively. So that's a really cool experience. And, you know, just to, to see how much is on the line as far as winemaking goes really gives you, um, really, at least, at least really gave me, uh, you know, a lot of appreciation, even more so for, uh, for what we do and, and for, winemakers in general and how it, it's farming mm -hmm. you know it's 2012 
it was kind of a rainy harvest. Um, it was cold. People were out there grinding it out, working super hard in, you know, not comfortable conditions, but you worked all year to, to kind of clean up and pick grapes and get things going at, at that time of year. And, and there was just a really incredible, uh, energy around that. And, you know, of course, you know, we could talk about all the technical stuff that I learned and all of those things that you can kind of geek out on, but, um, harvest is an incredible thing, you know? These guys work all year long to really, really work hard for a week in Burgundy. And it's all kind of on the line there. And uh, thankfully, the wines, I think, are really great. I've had them out of barrel now, and um, they should be arriving anytime. Well, 2012 Burgundy is slowly arriving um, into New York now. So that's kind of cool. You can like think about mm-hmm. you know, what it was like when you were there and, and all those things. So. Do you feel like this gives you a, a deeper kind of understanding? For sure. Yeah. Is this something you want to do again? Do you want to go? I would love to. I would love to. Um, you really can understand. You, know, you see everything from you're walking around the vineyards, and it's like a super extended wine visit. You know, um, that's like drawn out and incredibly detail oriented, and you get to meet everybody and um, pick a lot of different people's brains about stuff. And I would love to do it again. I think it gives you incredible insight into a region, into, um, you know, the culture there and, true. and also the specifics of, of winemaking. So. so so many wine visits, you go and visit the, uh, the cellar and the tasting room and, you know, unless you're like in, you know, in Georgia, you know, yeah, at some like very traditional winery where they just have a couple and four on the ground, pretty much most cellars look pretty similar they either have stainless steel or they have small barrels or they have big barrels and then some old places have cement and they really look all the same in the tasting room you could taste those wines anywhere yeah but it's the vineyard that that makes that makes these uh that makes wineries so unique and makes wine so exciting and it's uh to to get to spend that much time in a great vineyard had to be just a, a super special uh experience yeah yeah it was super special you know picking grapes and Claude de la Roche is not an easy thing. Um, it's steep and rocky and you're kind of aggravated, but you really get to mm-hmm. you know, kind of feel it. And uh, yeah, and it's super fun. I know so. you spent some time in Piedmont as well. I did, yeah. Um, kind of early on, I somehow like figured out, I guess I was 21, I just turned 21, um, how to take a semester off from CU Boulder and um, kind of guided by Bobby to, to go to Piedmont and I, uh, got a little bit of cash from the university to write about traditional winemaking, um, as, uh, you know, whatever I forget as an independent study, um, in Barolo versus like modern stuff. Cause that was kind of, you know, something that was, that conversation happens less now, but you know, five years ago, that was a big part of the conversation. So um, and it really grabbed me. So I got to go do that and visit a bunch of people and it was way over my head, you know, being a 21 year old kid visiting Roberto Conterno by himself. It was like, you know, only by, you know, and, and, uh, sort of beneath Bobby could I have ever made that happen. But that was uh, a really cool experience. I got to spend a couple months there. So. 
That I mean, I, I'm just so impressed. That's that's brilliant that you're able to convince your college to give you money yeah. to you know, drink wine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. Everything I I I put up a lot of my own cash. Not uh, if anybody from CU is listening here, but um, <laughs> it was yeah, it was a really it was a really great experience, and that opened up a lot of doors for me moving forward. Having lived in Italy a little bit before when I was younger, um, it was a really easy place for me to. Um, kind of get my roots and and really learn about wine um, as fast as possible. So, what's your take on the current state of that of that conversation of the traditional versus modern Barolo producers? Yeah, I think it's changed a lot. You know, and the thing about Barolo is, right, we're just tasting 2010. So, what happened over the last <clears throat> four years? A lot can change for a producer. You know, um, as far as winemaking goes and um, what I think you see now is you see producers like, I guess, like Vietti or like, you know, Giuseppe Vaira, who are, I wouldn't call them, they're not like staunch traditionalists, right? They're not making, um, you know, they make a lot of wine. They make a lot of really great wine. They make wine, which is kind of softer and fruity and aromatic and really, really delicious and appealing in its youth. And, you know, as we've also seen, is, is in incredibly long-lived. But they're not, I don't think that's a, a modern thing to do, but maybe they're using a little bit more new oak in certain cuvées or they're doing, you know, certain things in the winery. So that kind of, for whatever reason, takes them out of the traditional camp. But um, I think you see that kind of gray area now there's a lot of really good wine that's kind of made from producers who you're like, are they traditional? Are they modern? You know, it, 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 it really, um, yeah, I think it's hard. And I also don't think it's fair because maybe one producer might, they might make a couple of different wines and they might make them in a couple of different styles or for whatever reason that wine is drinking a little bit flashier that year than that. You know, I think it's hard to really, yeah, there are the great, traditional houses of of uh of barolo and barbaresco for that matter and there's a lot of great innovators too um but i think you know that kind of area of traditional and modern is uh it's a little more gray now than yeah. maybe old- what it was in the mid 90s where everybody was like barrique and roto fermenters and that sort of stuff people are are thankfully i think uh kind of moving away from that but the overlap in the Venn diagram that is traditional versus modern yeah. is getting larger. Exactly. Right. Exactly. There's, yeah. There's less, uh, less, uh, the, the traditionalists are using some of the more modern techniques and the modernists are scaling back some of the oak and some of the ripeness. Yeah, and, exactly. And, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie about the Barolo boys that was, uh, it was just screened. I haven't uh, yet. Uh, there's some really great footage um and there's uh, there's footage of giuseppe rinaldi um, cool arguably the you know if not the greatest one of the greatest of the more traditional for uh, sure camp and he he says in the in the movie there's a, a clip of him saying that barolo should be uh it should be like angry and hard when it's young and it should not be delightful to drink when it's young yeah <laughs> i i mean i i i agree with that in a lot of ways but you take a vintage like you know what 2008 and 2009 Rinaldi those wines are delicious right now they're delicious I'll drink that you know it's yeah they're fruitier 09 especially you know whatever it is but um, I know people ask me this it's like well isn't that too young like yeah the wine has a lot of life ahead of it 
Um, but I think it's really great and really giving right now too. You know, there's, um, I wish I could drink 85, 89 Rinaldi all the time, but I can't. And so, you know, to have 08 and 09, you're kind of counting your blessings too. And, um, yeah, I put some of those wines away, but, uh, they're pretty tasty now too. And they are tannic. They do need food, but that's the nature of the grape. Cause even when they're 20 years old, they're still tannic and they still need food. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a beautiful thing. So. I, I agree. All right, Grant. I think that's all the time we have. All right. We have today. Thank you so much. Uh, this is fun. I definitely encourage all of you, if you haven't been yet to, uh, to check out Charlie bird. Not only is the wine list amazing as I, as I've said several times, the food is really delicious, but it's, you get this kind of warm, sweet hospitality, um, that, that just makes it a, a very comfortable and, and lovely place. Uh, and, I'll, uh, I'll head it up by our man here, Grant Reynolds. So thank you, man. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.